Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Today's episode is a live recording that I did on WBI radio and the interview was conducted on April 1st, as you'll see from some of the calls coming in. I wanted to do a live radio show this week to give people a chance to call in with questions and find out about resources um, and how to deal with this world that we're living in. Um, this pandemic era world. So um, I hope you enjoy. Our theme song is usually by the band Cordova. And uh, this week it is by uh, the band, the ballet, Friends of the Show. Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Can everyone hear me? Uh, yes, you okay, are great. heard. You are heard. Thank you. I'm heard. Great. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Um, you can hear the Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 4 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org on the Internet. I'm your host, Katie Helper, and uh, we have a great lineup today. We are going to be joined by the tireless, fierce organizer, teacher, trans rights activist, creator of the mutual aid and resource website, Big Door Brigade. He's also the founder of the Sylvia Rivera Law Project and an associate professor of Seattle at Seattle University School of Law, Dean Spade, as well as Ava Farkas, the executive director of the Met Council on Housing. Dean Spade joins us from Seattle and will give us a kind of overview of mutual aid. Um, and of course, I'm here as always with Reggie. Yes, that's me. How are you? Uh, good. How's everything? Oh, I, I heard the, the show last week got a little bit of tension last week. It did. Traction, yeah, we'll talk about that Traction. more later. But I urge everyone to listen to that show or uh, Google uh, Tara Reid, uh, Katie Helper, uh, or just Tara Reid, Joe Biden. And we'll we'll talk more about that right. another time. But oh, uh, yeah, 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 no problem. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'll just, just shout out to all the people out there who are actual consistent feminists. That's all I'll say. Oh, well, um, hey. And not um, part time feminists. But um, <laughs> uh, Reggie, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. Um, still, uh, I'm taking care of myself, making sure that uh, I, I don't be com- part of the contagion crew. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm washing the hands and and you know making sure I'm building that immune system. Plenty of vitamin C and zinc, and doing all the things that just sustain myself during these tumultuous times. How about you? I'm okay. I feel really kind of uh, out of it. Um, not out of it like that, but kind of I'm, I'm not in the city. And so I do feel like, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm going through what everyone's going through. It's okay. kind of a weird thing. And it's like, yeah, it hasn't hit me yet. And I feel very kind of spoiled saying that also. And I so but that's why I'm really glad. One of the many reasons I'm glad to be talking to our guests, because I want to find out how I can really not to sound corny. I'm being serious how to take part in like mutual aid and what I can do and what we can all do. Oh, and that's not how a we joke. Can support each other. That's not a joke. That's something. Serious. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And also how to do it when you're in a safer position than others in a more privileged position. Like, I mean, literally physically, not in the city. So how to deal with that. So we are engaging in. Guess what? We don't want charity. We want mutual aid. And without any further ado, let's bring on our amazing guest uh, is Dean Spade there. Hi, Katie. It's Dean. Hi, Dean. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be on your show. I love your theme song. 
Oh, uh, thank you for reminding me. Dean and I, full disclosure backstory, um, Dean and I met through uh, my friend Greg Goldberg and Dean's friend uh, Craig Welsey. Uh, now we're all friends. And that theme song is by the band, uh, the ballet. Uh, wonderful band. Um, Sissy Pop, I believe, is the genre that they describe themselves as being part of. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's all come, coming together. Um, and Dean joins us from Seattle. Um, and Dean, can you please just tell us, first of all, how are you? I mean, I feel really weird, as I'm sure everyone uh, does. This is a really wild time to be living through. I, you know, alternate between feeling really moved by the incredible mobilizations people are doing, the levels of mutual aid people are doing, the, I mean, the big push to get people out of prison at this time. There's, you know, the the possibility that transit could be free, the possibility that we could have income support for people out of work. And then I'm like, oh God, but what if they close the borders forever? And what if the, um, you know, corporate bailouts are so extreme? And I don't know if you heard this, but I just learned yesterday that there was a trillion dollars for law enforcement in the stimulus package. Wow. And that just like really ruined my day in an extra way. So it's real up and down oh, over yeah. here, which wow. I think is happening to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. To start off, can you tell people what, what mutual aid means and what it is? Yeah, totally. That, so that term is used to talk about basically when people band together to help each other with our survival needs based in a shared understanding that the systems that we're living under are not going to meet our needs and that we can do it together right now. So, you know, um, most mutual aid is like volunteer based work. You could think about no more deaths that put water in the desert. So people crossing over the U S Mexico border don't die in those desert crossings. So you could think about, um, uh, projects that train people on how to do immediate medical care for people experiencing gunshots in neighborhoods where the, um, where, uh, ambulances don't come or when they come, they come with the police and, um, and that brings escalation. Or you could think about child care collectives or feminist health clinics or, um, you know, long histories and also contemporary realities. Or you could think about sort of disasters, people's disaster relief, like Occupy Sandy that happened when Hurricane Sandy came through. Uh, the New York area, or um, the, all the disaster relief that people did in Puerto Rico. And those moments um, during Hurricane Maria, but those moments are often about this awareness that the government is not going to show up, right? That, that this is, um, you know, or if they, if they do show up, they'll, they'll be late and they won't, their aid won't ever reach the most vulnerable people. It, it won't reach homeless people. It won't reach poor people. Um, it won't reach people who don't have the kinds of addresses that register in FEMA's system. So, Mutual aid is, um, is, is all kind of people's response both to ongoing disasters like mass incarceration and immediate disasters like a hurricane or a fire or a flood or a pandemic. And mutual aid is part of pretty much every power so powerful social movement you can imagine, right? Because it's, it, it's partly it's the on-ramp to movements. People join movements because they are mad about conditions right now and they want to help right now or they want to get help. So mutual aid is like the entry point to a lot of movements. And it's also kind of the way people um, like sort of come into community with others who are mad about the same things and then can talk about what are the root causes so that, you know, I'm, I'm mad about this or I need this. And then like, oh, let's talk together about why our landlord keeps our housing in these terrible conditions or why none of us have childcare or why we don't have food or whatever the case may be and build sort of a shared understanding to then work on getting at the root causes. Um, 
I'll tell you that the most sort of popular visible examples that I think we see in, in U.S. history about mutual aid that people are familiar with, one is the Montgomery boy, bus boycott, I think is a good one to think about, like the level of coordination people had to do to give each other's r- rides when they were mm. not using buses is an example of like a giant mutual aid project sustained for a very long time um, to get at the, this root cause issue of um, the way people were treated on buses um, and the racial segregation and the sexual violence that was happening on buses to black women, et cetera. Another example that's probably the most famous one people talk about on the left is the Black Panther um, Party's survival programs, especially their free breakfast program, which kind of, you know, was this pivotal thing in their whole program. It's like people can get together. We can destigmatize poverty instead of being like, you're bad because you can't feed your kids. It's like, wait, let's get together and feed each other and talk about why black people are kept in um, extreme economic misery and why there's this extreme racial wealth gap in the United States and what its origins are and how it's practiced now and how we can all get together to change it. And the government was so threatened by the Black Panther Party survival programs, you know, that police would raid the offices and destroy all the food. Um, J. Edgar Hoover you know, famously said that it was like the most threatening program of the um, Black liberation movement. So it's this um, mutual aid is like a big, big part of social movements, but it's kind of like something that gets narrated out. Like people only remember the big legislation that happened or the big court decision or who got elected. And so part of what um, Big Door Brigade, the reason I created it after Trump was elected, that website is um, to try to bring attention that this is the way to plug in. Like, don't just wait to vote for a new president. Don't just post stuff on social media and like build projects with your neighbors and your friends right now to um, address the conditions that you're pissed and scared about. What's the difference between mutual aid and charity? Yeah, so charity is basically, I mean, I always think about it's like particular European origins of like um, rich people paying alms to the poor in hopes they get into heaven. Basically, charity Mm -hmm. usually isn't about trying to change a situation where some people are rich and some people are poor. It's usually about rich people deciding who are the deserving poor and a few people who meet the eligibility criteria get, you know, some kind of crumbs and most people get nothing. Charity is tends to keep, keep, keep things in place. So Mm. now we have this whole philanthropic world where, you know, fancy corporations and rich people give ultimately pennies for them, um, to boost their image, to look like they're progressive and basically they get to control what the, or where the money goes. So they're never going to get to the root causes of poverty and wealth. They're just going to, you know, um, usually give either depoliticized services that are just mm. like, oh, poor you. A few people get some kind of relief or they'll fund, you know, policy changes that are primarily symbolic. So solidarity is the, is not charity, right? Solidarity means we're going to get together and address immediate conditions and say, you know what? The reason you're homeless isn't because there's something wrong with you. It's because there's something wrong with the housing system, right? right. And the reason that um, so we're going to be like interested in the root causes and give people what they need without conditions, not being like, you have to be sober to get help here. You have to have children or you have to not have children or whatever, right. whatever the case may be. Not be a sex worker. Right. Or not be undocumented or all the different, yeah. you know, not have a felony, et cetera. Right. And we actually have a, our first caller, correct? Um, can we have the caller say your name and where you're from? Hey there. How are you, Katie? Can you hear Hi. me? Hi. Yes, we can hear you. Great. Uh, I I really appreciate these guests. I was tuned in also. The uh, Big Door Brigade is wonderful. The Solidarity, right. not Charity, yes. And I just, though, I just had a question to ask you. Um, I just tuned in to the Black Agenda Report, the show before you with Glenn Ford and Nellie yeah. Hester ba- Bailey, uh, two people who I really have appreciated. And the first guest was from the Black Alliance for Peace. And he really came down hard on Bernie Sanders. I just was wondering, 
Uh, do you I, I, I have still hope that, in fact, Joe Biden will be exposed truly to be a sexual <laughs> yeah. pervert, the pervert he is, and uh, and that uh, somehow Bernie Sanders could possibly eke out a change of heart. And, yeah. you know, somehow he still could because the primaries have been delayed. I just wondered what you thought, because this man from the Black Alliance for Peace dot org, OK, Black yeah. Alliance for Peace dot org, just slammed Bernie Sanders. Yeah. But luckily, on the second guest on the uh, Glenn Ford uh, Black Agenda radio show yeah. that preceded yours, he had the second guest from the University of Texas, Austin, uh, Micah. Um, Michelani or something, uh, but yeah. he taught in African studies, and he said, in fact, that, uh, you know, listen, let's take a little bit of a rational thought approach, and um, I, I think he was saying to go with electoral politics, yeah. I would agree that... Well, well they, they actually, and say your name, sorry, where are you from and what's your name? It's Zabby, and I'm from Suffolk County, Long Island. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. That's actually a really interesting question. And I, I want to kind of link it to um, what you're talking about and focusing on and and kind of the role of what the relationship between um, electoral politics and mutual aid is, Dean, if you could talk about that. I'll say that I, I will say just quickly kind of respond to that. I think there is a possibility of of Sanders winning. To me, it seems like this is actually it's more possible under these circumstances. And I'll talk about that more because I talk about Sanders all the time. Let's make I'll, I'll make this a, a more Sanders free zone than usual. Um, Dean, I think you gave uh, Sanders the biggest endorsement like I've ever heard from someone with your politics, which was that you don't care who's president, but obviously it should be him if there's going to be one. Um, but let's take uh, another call and then we'll combine that last question with the next one. Is that OK, Dean? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, please tell us your name, where you're calling from, and a quick, quick, quick question related to what Dean is talking about. Yeah. Hi, my name is Sine. I'm calling from Flushing. I am calling because I want to talk to y'all about uh, Flushing rezoning um, and how gentrification and how corona has been impacting our neighborhood. Because of the coronavirus and because of the, gentri because of the um, gentrification, um, our community has been really impacted severely. Um, rent has been going up and up, and um, especially because of the gentrification and rezoning that's that's happening in Flushing, um, the supermarket is closing down, and a lot of people um, are suffering. People here have to choose between rent um, and food, um, and it's impacting our community really seriously. Dean, do you want to respond to that? Thank, thank you so much um, for bringing your community's experience and, and struggle to this conversation. Um, I just want to use this opportunity to think about sort of housing and gentrification struggles and, um, and mutual aid in case that's useful for people. You know, there's a lot of ways that, um, for example, like uh, direct support to tenants and the formation of tenants unions and supporting people through housing court is, a, is one common mutual aid strategy in communities that are struggling with, um, you know, outrageous housing prices and, um, and high rents and people being evicted and displacement, um, as well as like sort of broader mutual aid inside neighborhoods, like people doing childcare for each other, checking on elders or coordinating um, to make sure that um, people have food support or helping people through public benefits, during all of those kinds of mutual aid projects um, and efforts are things that support people who are facing the pressures of gentrification. And they often um, sort of escalate as people form deeper relationships to things like rent strikes or to things like attacking or going after a particular landlord, like protesting that landlord at their home or their business. 
those kinds of kind of bolder tactics that tend to win more for tenants. So it's interesting to see this moment where we're seeing that broadly. We've got people doing COVID-19 mutual aid projects all over the country and beyond um, in their neighborhoods where they're delivering groceries to elders, where they're just getting to know who's on their block and what people need and building those relationships that both help people survive and build trust so that then we can go in on a risky strategy together if we decide we're ready, like a rent strike or like targeting our landlord, um, things that can actually um, you know, or targeting developers who are, who are after our, our neighborhood or targeting city agencies that are letting developers gentrify our neighborhood. So that kind of tie between mutual aid and other kind of bold root cause, causes solutions and collective action is a really good um, thing to notice, I think, in this moment. And I, what I'm hoping is that the COVID-19 mutual aid that people are building in their neighborhoods will help us um, be stronger and more ready to do the big struggles um, for for housing justice, like you're describing. Uh, let's take some more questions, please. Yes, this is from New Jersey. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi. You know, I just wanted to give a little balance. Uh, not the uh, uh, not opposing a woman who called, uh, but about uh, the gentleman on Black Agenda. That's his opinion. I'm tired of people assuming that Bernie Sanders should be the end all. You know, in many people, including my opinion, he's got some of the best policies available, and um, Biden does not. Biden still wants us to have premiums and co-pays and, and all kinds of debt to, uh, for health issues and, you know, to pay if we go to hospitals, and Bernie Sanders doesn't. You know, so if his foreign agenda, if his, if his foreign policies aren't the best, I think he's a person mm. who has an open mind, but still he has the he has some of the best ideas, at least to deal with us at the home base. And yes. I'm just people like uh, whoever that gentleman was who lambasting Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and go get by. Yeah. The same old, same old we've always had. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. No argument from me here. But Reggie, should we take another question and combine them, or should we? Yeah, start while we, to while that we one? yeah, why don't we uh, combine some of these calls okay, so great, we can knock great. them out so all at once? Great. Okay. So next uh, question, please. Hi, guys. Uh, Lisa Hi. from Westchester. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. So um, I too was taken back by the Black Agenda report, which I normally love dearly, but that guy. And his point of view on Bernie was way off, I thought. Not that we can't improve on Bernie's right. national thing, but um, he talked about how Bernie was okay with what was going on in Venezuela, and that's still not true. So anyway, um, but in, in uh, relation to Corona and this gentleman, it sounds like I was interested in hearing you know, the schools have been on this rampant thing about, oh, we can't close the schools because we've got to feed the kids. This is where the kids get food. If they don't, you know, they, they don't have um, food if the schools are closed. And I understand that that's true in some cases. Um, and I figured that the community could work to, to handle this. But, like, when I say Westchester, I'm talking specifically New Rochelle, which was the epicenter of, of New York with this corona thing for the first oh, right, yeah. thing. They brought in the National Guard to distribute food to kids. To, to yeah. like, we couldn't handle it as a community. And, in fact, the next day what happened was the people who normally handle handing out food is the ones who did it. So I, and then there's still this big old push, which I don't think is really that sustainable 
or that genuine in terms of really meeting the needs of those who can't eat versus this is what they were able to use to keep the schools open as long as they could. So I wondered if he could maybe talk about that. Great. Yeah, thank you so much. Dean, do you want to handle that those two questions? Um, sure, yeah, I'm happy great. to. Um, yeah, I just, first I just want to say about the conversation about Bernie, um, I just think it's useful just to tie it back to mutual aid that yeah. it's useful to know that like even when we successfully elect more left candidates, like when you look at histories of countries where there's been like actually left governments elected, those governments are only only actually follow through with their promises mm. if there is a re robust participatory movement right. in place to hold the feet, their feet to the fire because everything about the way all countries and the world are governed is so not, you know, just does not lead um, to the interest of poor people and of marginalized people and indigenous people and others. So to me, that's just like a really useful thing about this. It's like, we need to, you know, care about what's happening around elections, of course, because it's going to impact us. But if we just care about that, then even if we elect our favorite person, they're going to keep disappointing us, which we've seen happen again and again. And so I think right. this is like an important piece around the way that especially the presidential election can become this kind of spectator sport for us where we all debate and get really fired up about it. But it, it's more like celebrity drama mm. than it is about kind of how do we plug in to build the kind of power that would make any president have to do what we want. And I think that's like a really interesting question for us. And also there's a way in which people in the U.S. mostly ignore their local elections yes. where we could actually see, be the most likely to see change um, in order to focus on the kind of more celebrity drama, highly funded, highly advertised. So I just want to like suggest that not that your listeners are doing that, but just that that's kind of where mutual aid for me meets the question of um, the presidential election is how do we build so much power that no matter who is in office, um, they have to do uh, what's right. Um, in terms of the second part about the schools, I think, you know, first thing I have to say, which maybe a lot of your listeners know about, is that um, the the school, the national school free lunch and free breakfast programs actually were put in place in response to the Black Panther Party's free breakfast programs, right? So I think that's a really interesting piece right. that... Um, that, you know, when governments are threatened by movements meeting people's needs, they then often co-opt or replicate. And usually they do it in a way that reaches less people and that is, you know, de-radicalized and stuff. But it is kind of an interesting part of like it's almost an, a sign of how strong the Black Panther Party's strategies were that the U.S. government co-opted um, in an attempt to um, make them less meaningful. But I'll also say um, that's been a debate here in Seattle where I live, too. Like if school is closed, how will people get um, free lunches and free breakfasts to students. And they do do a summer program where people can pick it up at parks. And I think they've tried to use some of those models. But I love the, what the caller asked because it really brings this question like, we do not want them using like military and police right. to try to meet people's basic needs. We really want um, a really different solution. And when I see the trillion dollars towards law enforcement in the stimulus package, or when I see the amount that the United States pay pays for militarism at all times, I think, how can we generally make a shift towards? Um, you know, community sovereignty, the self-determination about what would be the right way to feed kids in this neighborhood or in this community, and how can we have the resources to do that, whether that, um, and how can those resources not be going towards police, um, National Guard, and other forms of militarism? And I think that's like a pivotal question right now, as we see um, the COVID relief that's coming down being so police and law enforcement heavy, we need to really, really, really push back. And we have one more caller on the line. Hello? Hi, can you say your name, where you're from, and what your question is? Thank you so much. Oh, you know, I, you know, when I hear all this socialism, they don't. I think you don't really don't have the understanding that in this society here, people are out of work, and number one, these people rent. 
They don't own co-ops and, and, and condominiums. And a lot of these people have lost, in a sense, lost the power of making any decision on, say, hey, I want my, my apartment, and all of a sudden I'm paying this and I'm going to be paying more. And when these people ever do whatever that funny money that they're going to release from the government, which is nothing but funny money, and they have no value to it, now the issue is now we're going to raise taxes. And the question is, how are you going to raise taxes and people are out of work? And on top of it, who owns the, the, the property? The landlords own it. They make their own. These politicians, the, rank, the, the governor and the mayor, they're all in the hands of the, of the, of the developers. They came yeah. to the city here. They put up all these buildings where you cannot even look and look at the damn building or live in there, and they get you out of the neighborhood. Now the question is, they're going to fail up the, the fire anyway because no one is not going to buy that for the property. It's going to sit there and rot away like everything else. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in our next our next guest because our next guest is a really perfect person to respond to this. Um, and uh, that person is Ava Farkas, the executive director of Met Council on Housing. And Ava Farkas is in New York City. Ava, are you here? I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear us? Yes. Loud and clear. Okay. Can you uh, tell us, please, what your response to that question is? Oh, I didn't hear the question. Right. That was a trick question, actually. <laughs> it was basically, let's see, how can we summarize it? It was about the conditions. I think it was a, kind of an indictment, a frustrated, justifiable indictment of um, the real estate, uh, about developers. Let's say developers. It was an indictment of real estate developers. Okay. Ava, where do you well, fall? Pro? Are you for or against real estate developers? I can talk a little bit. I mean, I know you guys were talking about mutual aid, so I'm happy to talk about what kind of mutual aid our organization is engaging in right now in response to the COVID-19 crisis. And I think this will get to a lot of the questions I heard earlier callers talking about uh, people in Sunnyside not being able to afford the rent. Um, So Met Council on Housing, we're a tenant rights organization and we're a grassroots membership organization and we engage in mutual aid on a regular basis, um, we have a, ho- a hotline that educates tenants about their rights um, that's staffed by tenants who are, who are passing on uh, their experiences and knowledge to other tenants. Um, so mutual aid is something we've been practicing for a very, very long time. Um, and in this moment, um, we and other tenant organizations have been responding to the crisis um, by making some pretty big demands um, to bring relief to tenants. So we first fought for an eviction moratorium um, to ensure that no tenant, um, whether they're able or not to afford the rent right now, will be brought to housing court for the duration of this crisis. Um, We did uh, an online petition um, and were able to get the court to... Um, implement this eviction moratorium and Governor Cuomo to also issue an an executive order that will keep this in place for 90 days. Um, So this is really major and and an important protection that tenants should understand they have right now. Um, No tenant can be brought to housing court right now for non-payment of rent and any eviction that was pending is also suspended for the time being. Um, and will be deferred until the courts reopen. Um, but the second piece of this and the, the resolution we're looking for now is rent relief, because even if 
There's an eviction moratorium. Uh, what that, in effect, means is that evictions are delayed and postponed and put off. Um, and we know that um, tens of thousands of renters in the city are not going to be able to pay rent during this time. People are losing income. People's hours are cut. People are facing layoffs um, from work, um, losing gigs that they had previously. And so um, most renters don't have enough savings to be able to even pay uh, next month's rent or June or May's rent. So we're calling on the governor to cancel rents um, and come up with like a, a bold solution to figuring out like how to keep people in their homes when housing is so critical in this moment. If if we're being told to shelter in place and and that's right. really the way we fight this um, this virus. It it feels like COVID nineteen makes organizing both easier in some ways and uh, no not easier i'd say it's a lot more daunting it's a lot seems a lot harder a lot scarier but is there more potential for like more long-lasting change i'll try Uh, that out yeah thanks Um, thank you yeah yeah, this is dean um I think that a couple of things are really interesting. One is that um, in, historically in a lot of different kinds of organizing that people do, people with disabilities, people with kids and older people are often left out because it's like all happening at a live meeting at night or whatever. And so one thing that's happening, I think, is that there's a possibility as people meet on the phone and online more potentially to have um, some of those barriers taken away for some people, which is really, really cool. On the other hand, if everybody's only using Zoom or only using platforms that are unfamiliar to certain populations or that some people don't have the internet, there's also a possibility of us creating more barriers. So I think that's a question. And I see people dealing with that and creating their mutual aid networks um, in their neighborhoods, trying to figure out how can we figure out who in the neighborhood doesn't use the computer and have a phone tree that reaches them, even if we also do some things using, um, you know, to other technologies. So that's like, that. how do we bridge those divides and still work together across those different um, abilities or, um, um, uh, you know, to use these technologies? I think the other thing is like, one, I think there's a demobilizing aspect that can happen from things like social media. It can really encourage us all to just express our opinions on social media and not be doing organizing about actually changing conditions. It can just be like, if we just say the idea is enough, hopefully things will change, which is not how it works. So we have to build power and take bold action, um, like my council has been doing for so long. And so I think one of the really interesting um, things that's happening is people are getting a little more tactile and material generally right now. They're like, wait, who does live on my block? Who is vulnerable? Mm. What's going on with the homeless people who I see around? What's going on? You know, And I think that's a really um, beautiful moment where people are kind of letting the rubber meet the road with their politics. The online work is a great entry point for people to be like, oh, I, I went and I learned about the ideas and I found out stuff is going on. But we need to take the next level where we actually organize together share resources, coordinate action. And that I think some people, COVID is making things so um, material and transparent in front of our eyes about vulnerability and about how people are vulnerable differently. And I think it's leading to a lot of people creating new mutual aid projects, helping each other out, getting to know each other. And that's all going to help us when the next disaster comes and the next disaster, the next disaster, because we are living in this period of climate chaos and of austerity and all of these terrible government programs and the rising right wing. We really need each other right now. And we need to be like deeply connected. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I I would totally agree. I mean, we had a Zoom membership meeting um, for the first time and we had more participation than we have in a normal membership meeting. And I think it's partly because of like the technology, you know, um, overcoming some barriers of like people not having to travel to a meeting from different boroughs in the city. Um, And also just the urgency right now. I think people 
are being directly affected by this crisis in many different ways. And so I think people feel a different sense of urgency, especially around um, the rent, which is like the biggest, you know, cost for most people and families in our city. Um, so I definitely think there's like new opportunities for organizing and we're trying to come up with like different ways that people can connect with each other. So we also are seeing that there's a barrier to like non-English speakers, um, you know, older folks that may not have like the, the technology or the experience like using it. Um, so we're also offering um, sending out like materials that people, if they have a printer or a neighbor has a printer, they can like print out a flyer and put it in their lobby and put up a sign up sheet to collect other people's phone numbers. And then we're encouraging people to like start text or call their neighbors to check in on them and find out what issues they're, they're going through and what kind of mutual aid they need. Um, so, so, yeah, we're trying to come up with, like, different ways that people can take action. Um, also, uh, Dean, do you want to ask anything of Ava? And I want to give you guys the chance to ask each other questions, too. Yeah. I would, Ava, I would love to hear, you know, I feel like it's a really inspiring moment around the possibility of people pushing for rent relief or doing rent strikes. And I wonder if there are historical examples or examples elsewhere in the world or to other times in New York City that you look to for the most like inspiration to try to imagine what's the, what's an example of like incredible collective action where people came together and really won. Cause I think a lot of people need to hear that right now. Those stories mm. don't circulate so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, today we just launched, um, we had a big uh, press conference that was on Facebook Live. So collectively as tenant organizations, we launched a tenant, uh, a rent strike toolkit today because we've just been inundated on our hotline uh, by individuals saying, you know, they can't pay rent. You know, they're not going to be able to pay rent. Today is April 1st. Today is the day rent's due. Um, So we had dozens of callers telling us, what am I going to do? I can't pay rent. And so um, this idea has really emerged in multiple spaces in the past two weeks that there's really a rent strike emerging like of necessity um, because people cannot pay the rent. And the idea um, of uniting people around and naming it a rent strike as opposed to just, you know, I'm not paying rent because I can't afford rent is that it empowers people, makes people feel less isolated, um, turns something around that could be shameful um, or disempowering to something that is a collective action with a collective demand to the governor, which is we all cannot afford rent and you need to come up with a solution to that and come up with relief for us. Um, And in sort of like recent tenant movement history, most rent strikes are done with like some other demand, like it's a demand to the landlord to fix conditions. Um, But in the beginnings of the tenant movement, like in the twenties when like Jewish women on the lower East side were first organizing tenant uh, associations, the rent strikes were about how the rent was unaffordable and the rent was too high and were about like winning price controls over the rent and other uh, things. So I think, you know, that's a way, way back when, but I think we we really do have to look back at like the history of the tenant movement. Um, 
in the toolkit that we launched today, which I'll give people uh, a phone number they can text to get the toolkit, um, there's all this information that's about the history of rent strikes of this tactic and how they were really successful in us winning the system of rent control and rent stabilization that we have today. So I think, you know, we can look back in history and see examples of this, uh, bolster this current movement. Great. Uh, Dean, do you have any inspiring stories that you want to share that you've either uh, experienced uh, recent or historical and also want to give both of you the chance to um, let guests know, uh, let listeners know about different resources? Thanks. Um, yeah, I think that um, some of the resources I want to share, if you're interested in mutual aid, I would really recommend um, looking at the organization Mutual Aid Disaster Relief. They've put out a lot of really great information about how to do COVID-19 mutual aid and do it safely. I want to also name that people are doing a lot of different things. We've talked a bit today about people supporting each other as tenants. We've talked about people bringing each other groceries and figuring out who on the block needs help getting a prescription or things like that kind of vulnerability on the block level. But there's also a lot of people doing fundraising, like fundraising for prisoners so they can buy soap because they're being denied soap and it makes it even more dangerous to be in prison. Or um, people who are doing fundraisers for certain kinds of workers out of work, like I've seen fundraisers for sex workers in particular communities or fundraisers for artists or fundraisers for various kinds of people who are losing work and um, who are gig workers and unlikely to be included in any kind of um, relief from the government. There's just so much creative stuff happening out there. And it's like, if you see a problem, you can actually be part of solving it. And I want to also just lift up a couple of media sources where I've learned a lot about the detailed nitty gritty stories of mutual aid happening now. That's helped me, um, helped inform how I think it works and what our good best practices. One is it's going down, which is a website. And they also have a really great podcast. Um, and also I recommend uh, The Final Straw, another podcast, another podcast called Rebel Steps, which is a real like how to get politically active and what are different kinds of strategies. And they have some pieces on mutual aid. So I hope those are useful. I think for me, I because I've grown, you know, I'm 42, I've grown up in a period in the U.S. that's been very what I would consider like anti-revolutionary, like a period mm -hmm. where we've had very conservative politics and where everything just seems to move to the right no matter who gets elected. And there's been this drastic growth of prisons and um, just everything kind of drastic growth of the border enforcement and drastic growth of the wealth gap. I really need to look to other times and places to get inspired. Um, part of that for me has been studying tenant organizing, like learning about um, the big rent strike in 1965 in New York, which I recommend looking up. Um, also other kinds of organizing, like really learning what the Montgomery bus boycott was about instead of what vague thing I learned about in school and also studying, you know, like the Zapatistas or what's going on, what's gone on in Rojava, like kind of bigger scale examples of people taking autonomous action, taking back land, taking back the, um, the kind of day-to-day -day existence and stewarding what's actually good for the people instead of being dominated by extractive, um, corporations and by governments that are basically in the pockets of those corporations. So for me, it's like, I just want to recommend that those stories don't circulate that much in American culture. Instead, we get these really feeble, really thin social movement stories that are mostly lies and just lift up one charismatic figure or one piece of legislation. And that really um, is not good for our imaginations of how all of us can be involved in making change uh, that's really deep and long lasting. And I think we're at this pivotal moment where some of that change could really happen because um, this system, you know, its cracks and its unfairnesses are more, you know, just more uh, vividly in um, in view than ever. And it's uh, it is the time to get the people out of the prisons and 
to um, make sure everybody has housing and to not have you know em- empty skyscrapers and um, and hotels while people are homeless and or in um, you know congregate facilities um, exposed to COVID. So thank you, Katie, for asking that. Yeah. Uh, Ava, anything you want to share about what people, resources people can um, look into now? Or we can also take more callers or talk about something else. It's up to you guys. I'm really trying to be very horizontal right now in the spirit of mutual aid. I can share some resources. So if, if tenants out there are interested in learning more about the rent strike, you can text rent strike to 646-542-1920. That's 646-542-1920. And you can get the Rent Strike Toolkit that we just put out today. And then if you have questions about your rights as a tenant and you want to talk to one of our uh, hotline volunteers, you can call the Met Council hotline on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday afternoons at 212-979-0611. 212-979-0611. Dean, also, you have some really interesting um, things that you've been looking into in terms of because this is a, such an intense time of um, organizing. I want to ask you about how you if you have any tips about how people can deal with conflict in groups in this in the co- era of COVID-19 also in general. Yeah, thanks, Katie. I think that um, one thing that's important to think about is that when we start groups, mutual aid groups, it's usually because there's some kind of terrible condition going on that we're overwhelmed by and that we're really mad about. We really want to help people who are suffering. And sometimes that work can feel really rushed and urgent, and we can end up um, kind of... you know, acting terribly in our groups. Cause most of us have only ever been to like jobs, schools, families, where there was like somebody in charge and people were dominating and you didn't really, everybody didn't really get a say. And we haven't really gotten to practice being really caring and having democratic decision-making where we really want to hear disagreements so we can sort them out and make a decision that we all agree with. So one thing I just want to say for those who are setting out to start working in mutual aid, um, you know, there's a reason people try to design these organizations to be more horizontal and less vertical to not try to or- organize it like the way nonprofits look, which is like a business with a boss, but instead like, okay, here we all are. We're different from each other. We live on this block together. We're in this group together. We want to make these changes. And how do we notice are the men dominating the conversation or are certain people not being heard? Um, how do we deal with conflict in this group? Have we created a culture where we can have direct feedback instead of gossip or instead of like holding it in and then blowing up at each other. Cause the reason I bring this up is because sometimes we get really focused on outcomes and less on how we did the work. But the mm. whole point of this is to build long-term relationships and to be in it for the long haul. Cause the problems we're facing are, you know, COVID may eventually pass, but we are in a long haul of a lot of different crises that relate to like living under capitalism and white supremacy and to things like climate crisis. So we need to build like stable, um, vibrant, generative groups. And so it matters what kind of group culture we have. And I've created a bunch of tools and linked a lot of tools about that in the section of the Big Door Brigade website um, in the toolkit in the section called Forming Groups. Like, how do we make decisions together well and actually all be heard? And it's kind of like also, how do we become the people who would live in the new world we're trying to create? Like, how do we get skills that are not the skills we got in a capitalist thing, which is like step on everybody, try to get ahead, try to dominate and get my thing through? We got to do the opposite, which is how do we build groups that can really function and people can be heard and we can notice if there is a small group within the group that's not being heard instead of it just being majority wins and dominates. These are like 
new skills for most of us, not to mention like looking at our own racism or sexism or whatever we baggage we were um, gifted by the culture. So I just wanted to like raise that because I think that that sometimes doesn't get discussed enough for people who are newly doing activist work and haven't. And part of the reason people burn out is because they have all this terrible conflict stuff that emerges from not doing that stuff carefully. And then they're like, oh, God, I can never go back to doing activist work again. And we don't need that. We need people in it for the long haul. Right. So it's, yeah, rad, actual radical self-care, not radical self-care, maybe the way it's used sometimes. Yeah, um, and group care, caring for each right. other and ourselves as a group and group dynamics. Yeah. Ava, do you have any tips on that? Or maybe you have any questions for Dean in particular? I'm sorry. I have to be transparent. I'm preparing for my next meeting. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, I'm sorry, you have to be transparent. I'm really bad at being an abusive boss or something. Um <laughs> Which is not true, but I was just, uh, I kind of thought you'd have some kind of confession there. Um, that's okay. You, this, you see, Dean, this is exactly it. Ava is, we have to help Ava from burning out. We're just talking about how uh, uh, I feel like a teacher or something who just busted a student, except I'm the, it's the opposite. I, I'm, I'm, you did nothing wrong, Ava. Um, we were just talking about how to not, actually, Dean, what would you say in, in, 20, in a second, what we were just saying? This is an interesting... Yes, yes. Just, just to what you just said, like part of the reason people often burn out doing the kind of important work that Ava or so many of us have done in nonprofit context is that our movements haven't been big and participatory. They haven't brought tons and tons of people in. So it's right. been this thing where a few specialists are supposed to do everything on a problem that is just like, I mean, the problem of t tenants experiencing harm in New York right. City is, you know, massive. And so you've got these like all these small organizations fighting, fighting, fighting. And, and then you've got like bigger national organizations that usually often don't really do that much, but get kind of get all the funding and all the credit and have really good optics. And what we really need is like models where lots and lots of people can join, not as their job, but just because they're part of it, because it's part of their life to be part of their neighborhood and to care about what's happening. And then have this like robust set of mutual aid projects that can then come together and make a de demand together um, about, you know, the eviction moratorium or the rent strike and have coordinated action. And I think that is like a lot of us have suffered from overwork in part because um, most people have been demobilized in our society, even if they're mad about something. And we need to move towards how can we plug people into being mobilized and actually taking the actions that I think they crave. Yeah. Well, that is, uh, I feel I like agree. that was a perfect. I agree. Uh, you agree? Okay. Yeah, that was a perfect, uh, I thought this was great what we did. That was just a planned role play that we, we had planned before the show because we wanted to demonstrate how uh, the dangers of getting burnt out and the importance of, of how to scale up mo movements in a, in a democratic horizontal way. Um, just want to give you guys a chance to just uh, tell us where people can find your work, what you're working on, other good resources as we uh, say goodbye to our, everyone and our listeners. Sure, you can find Met Council on our website at metcouncilonhousing.org. And you can call our hotline if you want to connect with one of our members and over the phone. Yeah. And uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram, too, at Met Council. Do you have that number handy or is this a Joe Biden moment? Our hotline number? Yeah, yeah. 212-979-0611. Great. And Dean, where yeah, can people can find you? Find all my work at deanspade.net and on social media as Dean Spade. And then the Big Door Brigade website has lots of information about mutual aid and how to start groups and examples of groups and good stuff people are doing. 
Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. That was Dean Spade, Ava Farkas. You've been listening to The Katie Helper Show. You can hear The Katie Helper Show every Wednesday at 4 p.m. on WBI. This 99.5 FM or WBI.org. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Helper Show. You can hear The Katie Helper Show on SoundCloud, on iTunes. You can access Patreon-only episodes at patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. The Katie Helper Show is produced by Josh Gregman and edited by Ted Reedy.